So it's Father's Day, right? They asked some little kid, they said, what's the difference between Father's Day and Mother's Day? And he said, well, Father's Day is just like Mother's Day, but you spend less on the present. <laughs> it's not a big day for us. I remember this is probably, I'm going to guess, 29 years ago when we were in the old building in Central like four or five of us on staff and we forgot Mother's Day. See, <laughs> back in the days when we handed out flowers, you know, for the newest, the, young, the most children, the oldest, the oldest one until she died, right? So passed all those flowers out. We forgot. Oh my goodness you'd have thought we shot mother Teresa. i mean we got killed no emails were any emails back then but what we got was we'd walk down the hall you forgot mother's day i can't believe you could do that you just don't love mothers do you we got killed so next year oh next year we remembered mother's day however I know this is my mind, and I understand that. But I sat down with the staff, and I said, look, we're going to do a little experiment. We're going to forget intentionally Father's Day. It's going to come around here in a month or two. We are not going to say a word. I'm not going to preach about it. I don't want you to say anything about it. I don't want you to even mention it, which we did. We did nothing. You know how many complaints we got? Zero. <laughs> Nothing. No woman ever complained. Say, I can't believe we forgot Father's Day. Not a single person. Well, we're looking at it today. <laughs> First Kings chapter 2. First Kings chapter 2. Not really a Father's Day directive. David, King David, is dying. As a matter of fact, right after he gives Solomon, his son, directions on how to be a man. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. After he gives him directions on how to be a man, he dies. And then Solomon ascends the throne. Now, so gentlemen, whether you're dad or not, this is applicable to you. Now I'm going to put it in our lives as dads. It's very quick. I'm not going to be long, but I do want us to be clear, in particular as dads, on part of what we're supposed to be doing. Now listen to 1 Kings 2. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, so he didn't offer this then, right, as an idea or a possibility. He commanded it. He said, son, here's how you're supposed to live. Now, watch this. I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Here's the first thing he says. Be strong and show yourself a man. First thing he says to Solomon, do not root your life as a man in what you are afraid of. Now, that is exactly what David did. Now, he was a brave guy. Fought bear, lion, killed Goliath, 
ran the Philistines who were in the country by the Mediterranean, took over them, conquered them. He made Israel a place of incredible peace. He was an extremely brave man, except in one area. It was one area that David could not conquer his fear in. And that was in regard to his family and those close to him. If you were close to him, he couldn't discipline you. So he couldn't discipline his family. As a matter of fact, one of the things he kind of dumps on Solomon is he tells him later on in this, after he walks him through kind of these these prerogatives, he says, look, here's what I want you to do. Joab was really bad. I want you to kill him. So he dumps it on Joab because he couldn't do it. Joab was right there at David's side, and David simply could not discipline anybody right there next to him. He did live parenting out of fear, and it killed his family. He will have more than one wife. One son, Amnon, is in love with a relative Absalom's brother, his sister. He is in love with her. And so he gets her, I'm going to make a long story short, he gets her into the room with him and he begins to physically become intimate with her in a forced way. And she tries to stop him and says, don't do this. If you'll ask dad, if we ask the king, he'll give you, he'll give me to you. But doesn't want to stop, doesn't. When he's finished, the Bible says that he loathed her as much as he had previously loved her, and he kicked her out. She went to her brother Absalom, who put her in his house. The Bible indicates she never married. Absalom is furious. David should have dealt with that, but he does nothing. So Absalom takes matters in his own hands. He has some of the brothers and cousins down for a banquet and he kills Amnon, runs out of the country, eventually comes back, and then he begins to pull Israel away from his father. He begins to say to them, look, my dad's not taking care of you. I will. Gets everybody to like him. He's a handsome guy. So he gets everybody to like him. And then he chases his dad out of town humiliates him that night in a way I won't mention in church, but he humiliates him. Runs his dad out of the town and then finally begins to chase after him. His dad, here's a guy who's humiliated him, is chasing him to kill him. And when they finally get into the battle, his dad, David, says to Joab, don't kill my son. Don't kill anybody else. Don't kill my son. Absalom gets caught in a tree. Joab kills him. The army comes back into the the garrison, humiliated, embarrassed, because David is seen weeping over his son. And Joab rightfully comes to him and says, you're more concerned about your enemy than the men that risk their life before you. If you don't get down there, you won't have a man left in here. David never recovers from that. He failed because he based his parenting out of fear. He simply couldn't discipline. You do not root your life in fear. 
Solomon will inherit that. He will have the number of wives he has because he's afraid he's going to fail as a king and not be able to protect the nation militarily. So he begins to intermarry all these different women because he is fear, he's fearful of failing. Gentlemen, we don't base anything in our life. And let me tell you something. If you're a normal dad, you're going to be afraid. I mean, it's great when you take that child home from the hospital, but then when they start growing up, it's fearful. Will they come to Christ? If they do, will it be serious? Will they rebel? Will they stand for Jesus when they get older? Will they get a good job? I mean, you're terrified unless you're just the most confident man in the world that you're not going to be able to take this child and raise him exactly where he's supposed to go you've got to be if you're normal terrified when you start thinking about the responsibility but I want you to remember something and that's how to handle that fear because unless you're abnormal you're going to be terrified about the responsibility that is now given to you in your life but here's the answer look at what he says be strong, show yourself a man, keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses. You see, this, this is your book for how to conquer the fear you face. For example, I have parents... that are terrified about whether or not they'll lead their kids to Christ. If what's in here is true, God gave you that child. A child's not yours. Based on the scripture, he has a purpose for that child. That purpose is beyond your purpose. So God's got something for that child to do. And he gave that child to you because he thinks you can train that child correctly. He would not have given the child to you other than that. So do not think, do not be afraid. Can I do this right? Absolutely. You follow Jesus Christ, you obey what it says in here. You will absolutely do it right because God gave you that child for that reason. Quit living in that fear you're going to teach your child now this is becoming more and more difficult you're going to teach your child his ways his directives so listen you're going to teach your child what God believes and what he thinks we should do with that belief you're going to teach both to your child. And your child's going to go to school. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He's going to go to school and hear that he came out of a primordial, primordial ooze and that he is just lucky to be here and there's really no purpose but that he should feel good about himself. I don't even understand that. It takes a whole lot more faith to believe in that than it does to believe in this. So... You're going to teach your child the opposite because if a child really understands that he has no value, has no worth, you're going to, and they just say, feel good about yourself. No, 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 no. Here's what you're going to teach your child. Just two things. Listen to this. Stay where you are in 1 Kings. Listen. Genesis 127. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And then after Adam and Eve fall, after they sin, here's what God says to Satan. It's the first statement about Jesus Christ in the Bible. I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. First statement about redemption coming. You're going to teach your child two things about his worth and his value. You're going to teach him, son, daughter, you are made in the image of God. It's why you enjoy sunsets and no animals do. It's why you have free will. They don't. It's why you can think they don't. It's why all these things are in your life because you are made in the image of God and it's broken in you. It's marred. However, God loves you so much that right after Adam and Eve sinned, before he even spoke judgment on them, he judged the enemy. And he did that in the cross. He is in love with who you are. And he wants to graciously restore that image back to you. And you're going to teach your children that their value is rooted, listen, in who they are in Jesus, not who they are in anything else. Because they can't lose that. No matter what they face in life, no matter what hard time they go through, no matter how difficult it is, they can always come back to the understanding that God is in love with them in Jesus Christ. He's pulled them back in the cross. The Holy Spirit indwells them, and they're going to be okay at the end of time. You're going to teach them that because that's God's way. And you're going to corollary off that. Now listen. You're going to corollary off that. You're going to teach your children that character is more important than success. Now, that's not our culture's view. It was until the Kennedys came along and created Camelot. Irony to me, because in Camelot, the wife betrays the king. The Kennedys came along and invaded our culture. We became enamored with them because they were successful and good-looking and articulate, but the character of the Kennedys was rotten to the core. Joe Kennedy, or John Kennedy's father, had several children. One of them was a little girl named Rosemary, who was special needs, and so she had periodically tantrums. He couldn't take it anymore. So he had a doctor come in, and she loved to sit on his lap and sing. So he had a doctor come in and perform a surgery on her. And they knew the surgery was fixed when, as she was singing, once he did enough here, she stopped. She went into a vegetative state that she never escaped from. He put her in a home, financed it, and with all in his life, I don't care how successful you are. That is despicable character. Amen. And it went down into his sons who did not value their wives, down into a man who killed a young girl in a car, but because he's a Kennedy, gets off. And we embraced that culture so that when we had a president who was physically intimate, with a girl the age of his daughter, it didn't even faze us because he was successful. That 
is our culture that is not this book. You're going to drive into your children's lives that character is higher than success. You don't wear football jerseys of men whose character doesn't fit their success. It's time to quit honoring men and women that do not value what we value in Christ. And I'm telling you, I, it's Christian leadership that's embracing the cultural concept. I put a thing on Facebook the other day. I never do that. But I put a deal on the other day that I stole from the Babylon Bee. And if you don't know what that is, that's the greatest satirical magazine in the universe. God made it. So I put in there, there was a flow chart for how to decide if your candidate's character mattered. Two arrows. First one went here. If your candidate is your political party, then his character doesn't matter. The other arrow in the flow chart was if your candidate is not your political party, then his character matters completely. And that is exactly where we are. I am shocked at what I hear among Christian leaders. I love Franklin Graham. His Samaritan's Purse stuff has been phenomenal all over the world. Blistered Clinton because of what he did with Monica Lewinsky. Blistered. Trump comes along. I'm in New York at the meeting where I hear Franklin Graham stand up and say, our president doesn't have to be perfect. David sinned and he stayed as king. Then just the other day, Franklin Graham, and I can't remember how to pronounce this guy's name, is the governor running for president as a Democrat. He's married to a guy. And Franklin Graham comes out and says, homosexuality is sin. You can't have it both ways. I don't care if you're Democrat, I don't care if you're Republican, I don't care if you're Independent, I care about Jesus Christ, and we're going to honor His character in our lives, not political expediency. That is totally incorrect. You're going to teach your kids character, and here's what can happen. They can do both. You want your kids to use their success to model their character. This little girl coming to Texas A&M, she just graduated from a high school. I won't say where, I won't say her name. She graduated with the highest grade point ever in the history of the school, 552. That's three times my high school graduation GPA. 552. <laughs> Full ride pretty much anywhere. Coming in the main school here at A&M. In her valedictory speech, she talked about her identity in Jesus Christ. Her success was the platform on which her walk with Christ was demonstrated. You're going to teach your children. It's fine to be successful, but that's not going to be the basis of our worth. We're going to let the, that be the platform out of which God's character formed in us 
shines. Why is this so important? Look at what he says. That you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Listen. Talked about this before, Jeremiah 1. Every one of us in this room, until we die, God has a particular plan for our life. Now, listen to me carefully. Your relationship with Christ is completely grace-filled. You don't do anything to earn that. You come to Christ and you get saved because the Holy Spirit speaks to you. You believe that. You yield to that. Jesus' blood is applied to your account. His Holy Spirit indwells you. He's in there permanently until the, day, until the day you die, and he comes and takes you home. That's all completely grace. You don't do anything to get that except you receive an offer from the creator of the universe about his son and your sin. But the purpose of the cross is to forgive me in a way that the Holy Spirit can indwell me so that God's glory can reappear in my life. That's the purpose. Now, as his glory reappears, I'm capable of prospering. That's not money. I'm capable of prospering in the plan God has for my life. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 9, listen to what Paul writes. I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I do discipline my body, and I keep it under control, lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Your calling to be saved is rooted in grace. Your calling to be effective in demonstrating the glory of God in whatever he's called you to do is based on your holiness out of the grace of God in the cross. Your life has to back up your calling. I say it every time, we're not talking perfection, but we are talking a holy direction where the people that know you, they see your imperfections, but there's enough holiness that they know you're walking toward Jesus even though you fail periodically. That's your calling. And you're going to train your children that success is the platform on which their character is demonstrated and their character is more important than their success. Their worth is tied in who they are in Jesus Christ and not whether or not they can throw a football or bat a ball, put a spin wedge on their green or kick a soccer ball. You're going to teach them that your, their worth is in the person of Jesus Christ. The only entity that has the truth the world needs are those of us that know Jesus Christ. We're the only ones to let the lost world know that, and we've got to demonstrate that well. And dads, it's hard, it's taxing, 
but it's also rewarding. And that is your calling. Let's pray. Father, it's not one of us here and a dad that doesn't take our responsibility with great trepidation. Let us just do what you tell us to do and trust your spirit in the lives of our children. I do thank you for the men in this room who do it right. So many. Continue to lead them, honor them, and let us raise a generation of men and women who honor who you are. I ask you that in Jesus' name. Your heads bowed, eyes closed. Never met Christ, then you don't know what I'm talking about, but it is a great day to do that. God's calling you to be a part of this fellowship. We want you to come. You may need to come down here and just kneel and pray. Staff and I are here to help you in any way we can. As the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you come. <laughs>